And I remember taking that first sip and being like, ah, oh, that's the feeling. God, I feel better. You know, I remember that feeling and saying that, God, I feel better. So selfish and self-centered that all I can think about is how I'm feeling. I don't care that my daughter was just born. I don't care that my baby mama is suffering in labor pains in the hospital. You know, my mom is there with her. To, you know, my mom's there doing what I should have been doing. You know, I couldn't see it. I don't have a problem. Alcohol and drugs aren't my problem. The world's my problem. You're my problem. Is there anyone out there? From Darkness to Life contains the real stories of individuals who found their way out of the darkness caused by mental health challenges and substance abuse. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please reach out when you're ready to ourcollectivejourney.ca or on Facebook at Our Collective Journey. All right. Yeah, hello. My name is uh, Damian Davis, one of the uh, founders of Our Collective Journey. And it's been a long time since I've uh, had the honor of kind of being uh, the host of uh, From Darkness to Life podcast. Uh, we're here at the uh, Plugged In Media Network studios in Medicine Hat. And um, I guess I got a couple of housekeeping things to get out of the way before we before I introduce you to this amazing man that I have sitting across from me. Um, our podcasts are sponsored by, uh, you know, one of my uh, favorite people in the world, my sister-in-law, Nicole Davis Realtor. Uh, it's a Better Homes and Garden real estate signature service uh, that Nicole provides. You can get a hold of Nicole uh, via her website at www.nicoledavisrealestate.com. And if you need her phone number, you could probably uh, text me, Damian Davis, and I can get it for you uh, if you're looking to buy or sell a home. Uh, so thank you, sister-in-law Nicole. Um, today's a little bit of a smaller podcast. It's just me and Dustin, uh, our guest today. Uh, so it might be a little bit more of an intimate, you know, uh, probably emotional discussion uh, about uh, about Dustin's journey to recovery. And uh, I'm very honored uh, to be here with you today, Dustin. How how are you? I'm excellent, man. I'm exactly uh, where I need to be right now, evidenced by the fact that I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, it's been quite the journey, man. I'm just, uh, I'm blessed and grateful to be where I'm at today. Yeah, no, I uh, I haven't known you for very long. I think it's been probably around a month. Yeah. 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 You know, I met you at a 12-step meeting. Um, you were sitting there in your dress shirt and a tie and... You know, you, you looked very put together. Uh, I think there was a newcomer at the meeting and, you know, I had to share and I was sh sharing my experience, strength and hope. And, and then all of a sudden you got an opportunity to share your experience, strength and hope. And you were just spitting fire of, <laughs> of just excitedness of life. And, and it really inspired me. Right. And from that moment, you know, kind of started talking we started kind of connecting and i've never heard your entire story um but i knew inside of me i think maybe the the universe or my higher power or whatever speaking to me and said i think this man needs to share his story with the world and lo and behold you had also been wanting to do that so here we are hey uh yes uh i actually have been um you know my uh my prayers have been answered i've uh I haven't always been like this. I haven't always been happy, joyous, and free. I haven't always had the serenity I have in my life as I do now. Um, the calmness of my mind, you know, being able to think through things. Um, I grew up, you know, very angry, resentful at the world, you know, and I'm glad that I get to be on here to share my message today, you know, because there's hope. And that's what I want to share is my hope because, um, you know, We'll get on that. I have quite the story. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's a really good start. You know, uh, just start at the beginning. Start wherever you want, and yeah. let's uh, let's go on a journey of uh, Dustin's life through addiction and into recovery, and and what you're doing now. You bet, man. Um, so I grew up in a small town, Hannah, Alberta. You know, most people most people wouldn't know it, <laughs> know the town, but uh, they know it of the home of Nickelback. Um, you know, and I lived there for 26 years um i have uh, an amazing brother uh, wonderful loving sister stepsister and uh you know two loving caring parents who did the best they could you know 
with what they knew how and with what they grew up with and um you know we my 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 dad was a class one truck driver in the oil field you know um and my my mom you know she originally started at a and w and then and then you know worked at a grocery store and now she's at a at a old folks home um but most of the most of the time growing up you know from the ages of five to six um I could have probably used to drink then you know um I grew up with a lot of anger I was mad at the world you know um my my real dad I hadn't seen him since I was five and you know and I think that's the that started the basis of the anger and the frustration and the resentment you know I think I uh, originally built the resentment against him uh at an early age you know and my stepdad came into my life at three years old and I think uh at that time, I also built a resentment against him too, because the fact that he wasn't my father, you know, and I didn't want anybody else. Um, I didn't know it at the time being five years old, but I, looking back now, I think I'd, I didn't want uh, anybody else other than my real dad raising me, you know what I mean? And I always, um, I always grew up with just so much anger, like very, very brutal anger, homicidal, suicidal, um, always mad at the world. Um, I expected even at six years old, that the world owed me things. My parents owed me things, you know. I, I, I should have had everything served to me on a silver platter, you know. And I just felt that life was unfair at that time, too. So I took it out on everybody and everything, you know. And that was, you know, um, there's going to be some vulgar language. But uh, I, I, I would tell my parents things at six, seven years old, things like, you know, I wish he would die in hell, you know, I wish, and I would tell that to, to so many people. Um, everybody, I believe, looking back now, everybody I believe that I walked into, the path that I walked into, and everybody that came along to it, I completely and utterly destroyed and hurt and ravaged and just tried to control and see what I could get out of the situation or the relationship, you know. And I didn't realize that until that started at a young age, you know, and... Um, so growing up, um, you know, I was bullied in school. I, I didn't have very many friends to start off school, um, you know, in elementary and that. And, uh, you know, I think I took that out on life too. You know, I just felt that everybody was against me. The world was against me. I was alone. I was uncomfortable in my own skin, you know. And I felt that at a very, very young age. Um, and I also felt that at family gatherings, you know what I mean? I felt that, um, I felt those feelings at Christmas time, at Easter, being around, surrounded by loving family, you know what I mean? But I always felt that I didn't want to be there. I always felt like something was missing. And that was at a young age, at six, seven years old, and I didn't realize those feelings until now. And, uh, and so growing up, I also, you know, my, my, dad and my mom they were uh, they were christian you know we would go to church on sundays and and my my grandpa and my grandma my grandpa's a, a priest or a pastor sorry you know pentecostal pastor so i had the 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 realm of christianity throughout my whole life you know and bible camps three bible camps throughout my throughout my childhood and you know so i always i always had the presence of god you know i always knew about God, I don't know that God, per se, the Christianity faith-based God. I always knew that, but growing up, I've seen every all these other kids in church. You know, they were all happy. You know, and uh, and I was still so angry. And then I started taking it out on God. You know, I think I started blaming God. Like, why are all these kids happy? Why can't I be happy? Why is the world giving? Why are you giving me a shitty hand? You know, and lo and behold, I didn't. I actually didn't realize that at a young age I was dealing with untreated alcoholism, you know what I mean? Um, so to deal with all these things, my parents had, uh, they didn't know what to do with me, you know? I was violent outbursts, um, constantly, you know, kicking, screaming, hitting, fighting, all these things, getting mad at teachers in the principal's office, you know? This is, this is how my life was, was just violence, anger, fighting, there was no, I don't think, you know, there was times of love and compassion and times that I felt kindness, but I honestly believe 80% from the time when I was seven years old to about 18, 
I want to say I was very, very, very violent and very angry at the world. I didn't have many friends, and the friends that I did have, they chose to hang around me only very limited amount of times, you know what I mean? Um, I was in and out of trouble with the law ever since I was 12 years old, you know? Um, my first my first trouble with the law is I pulled the knife on a kid, you know? Um, actually, three of them, I was backed into a corner, and my first thought was to pull a knife on them, you know? And and all this is adding up, you know, all this time, you know, I was fighting in school, fighting with my parents at home, you know, fighting with my siblings, mad at the world, you know, and uh, and blaming everybody else, blaming them, blaming my parents, blaming the school, blaming my friends. Um, and then at about 10 years old, you know, I think that's when I, when I first started realizing who I was, you know, I... My parents caught me smoking cigarettes at 10 years old and <laughs> I, they tried to stop me and my dad was a smoker at the time my mom had quit and I gave them an ultimatum, you know, <laughs> and at 10 years old, I don't think you really give your parents an ultimatum, but I did, you know, and I, I truly did. And I told my parents, it doesn't matter what you do. You're going to have to lock me in a room from school. I'm going to go to school and I'm going to get those cigarettes and I'm going to smoke them. And I don't care whether or not you smell it on me or not. That was my attitude. I'm going to do what I want when I want. Doesn't I don't care about your attitude. I don't care what you feel, what you think. I don't give a shit. I'm going to do it because it pleases me. I need to, I need to be selfish, self-centered to the core. You know, um, nobody cared about me is what I, what, what, what I thought. I didn't trust anybody, not even my parents, my family, nobody. I didn't trust myself, let alone. Yeah. Um, and so at 12 years old, you know, I start smoking, I keep smoking, I keep smoking. And you know, at 12 years old, I'm at my, my auntie and uncles, my favorite auntie and uncles doing chores for them, getting cigarettes, you know, from my parents and hiding this from my parents, you know, and going to school and selling cigarettes, you know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm selling cigarettes. I'm, 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 I'm that cool kid in school at 12 years old, selling cigarettes, smoking. Like a little entrepreneur. Yeah. And a survivor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I thought I was cool. I, you know, not realizing that maybe I have a problem. <laughs> And then I start hanging out with some bad kids. You know, I start getting, I don't even know if they were bad kids. I wouldn't even say they were bad kids. We were all, you know, the way I look at it now is I was, we were all spiritually sick. And that's what I was, spiritually sick. I didn't know how to live life. I didn't, I didn't know how to feel my feelings. I didn't know how to be vulnerable. I didn't know how to be authentic. Um, I would... I would adapt in the environment I was in, you know, I would, I would, I would take a look at the room or whoever I was with and I would try to be like you, you know, I would try to get, just be like you. I didn't want to be myself. So I'm going to try to be like you. I'll try to act like you. I'll try to act like whoever's in the room. And that's what I did growing up with my friends, with everybody. I was never my authentic self. Um, my authentic self at the time was screaming, raging, violent, outburst, homicidal, suicidal, depression, anxiety, just full of rage. That was my true self at the time. So then at now we're at 14 years old, this is at 14 now, and we're, uh, we're hanging out with the cool kids, what I thought, you know? And I, my, my, my first was smoking pot. And uh, the first time I tried smoking pot, it was like an instant relief, you know? It's like, holy crow, what is this? You know, but I didn't think nothing of it. I went home and I went to bed and I didn't try it again for a while, you know? And then all of a sudden, you know, with the same group of friends, I hadn't tried alcohol yet. And then with the same group of friends, they had, you know, I hear a lot of the time a talk that a, a lot of, a lot of people don't remember their first drink vividly. <laughs> like I can tell you the story vividly of how, what happened, you know, what it was like, you know, and you know, and I'm sure you can relate to that. Well, I, as you say that, I remember exactly my <laughs> first drink and I remember exactly how I puked all over myself, pissed my pants, got put in a dress 
you know, I remember everything about it, but I also remember waking up on a Saturday morning thinking, man, that was awesome. Right. Yeah. Which is insane to look back upon, but yeah, I completely remember that first experience with alcohol. Yeah. And then, so same thing, we're sitting there and I remember it was a two, six, a smearing off and, uh, you know, I'm 14 years old and we had, we, we had thought we were going to go swimming that day and we had still kept the plans. We're going swimming to that day. So, you know, what? there was about three of us, I think three of us friends and we're sitting around the trampoline and nice, beautiful, sunny summer afternoon. Like I can remember it like it's clear as day. And we go, we go, we go, we drink that whole bottle, you know, just us three sitting there in about, you know, about an hour and a half, two hours. We're down this. So, you know, 14 years old, like I'm loaded. I'm drunk. I can, we, we can barely walk, but we make it to the pool. Somehow I can still remember it. And, um, I can remember vividly before we went home, we were only there for about 10 minutes before we decided it was a good idea to go home before we got caught or, or drowned. <laughs> I think that was another thought or drowned, but I remember walking down the lane of the pool in Hannah and I remember walking straight down the middle of it on the cement and all of a sudden I'm in the pool like I had no recollection of falling into the pool all I remember is coming up above the water and being like oh that's not good maybe we shouldn't be doing this (laughs) and we left and uh, but I seem I remember that feeling like man not that depression the anxiety None of that, the anger, the rage, all that was gone. It was like, yeah, this is me. This is my solution. So that started it all. You know, that was the... And it was, it, for me, I didn't even know it was a solution. I just knew that I liked not being yeah. irritable and discontent, that I liked being able to talk to people and be a little bit more outgoing because I was like kind of shy and introverted. But, you know, again, I, I really appreciated what you said. It was like, I, I was a chameleon. I... I adapted to whoever I was hanging out with because I didn't know who I was and I wanted you to accept me. But when I drank, everybody wanted to be around me because I was funnier. I was yes. better. I was just, you know, I was comfortable. So I was kind of just more me and people seemed to like that when I was drinking. Yes. Yeah. 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 And same thing for with me. So that was me when, before the, before the drinking, like I was at 14, like I was shy. I wouldn't talk to girls. I, I, I couldn't even talk to guys, let alone make friendships with, with guys, let alone girls. You know what I mean? Um, I wasn't funny. Um, at least I didn't find myself funny. Um, I wanted to hide in my own shadow. You know, I just wanted to just hide, be alone. Yeah. And then you get that drink in me. And now I, you know, and that's when I started talking to girls as F14 after that, you know, and I didn't realize it until now, you know, and I, 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 I start making friends, you know, I start becoming friends with more people. People want to hang out with me. People start to like me, you know? And so I'm thinking, well, I like this. I like this, you know? And, uh, so I continue that. I continue that up until about uh, not too much drinking more so the smoke and the weed you know yeah. i wasn't i wasn't too big on the drinking after that but the smoke and the weed i liked the what the effect the weed produced on me you know so i kept smoking weed um but in high school high school that's where my pop like that's where popularity changed for me you know what i mean and uh, like i think we have the same similar similar that you know but in high school i still wasn't drinking you know i was still just smoking weed but I was still, I had friends then, you know, I had amazing friends at that time, you know. Um, and now that I look back and those friends now, they're all married. They've all got careers. They've all got, you know, they've all got it, you know. And uh, realizing now God had put me with those people. And if I would have seen that at the time, like those would have been the friends, my lifetime friends, you know what I mean? But then also at the same time, how do I know? you know, because God had his plan for me. And, uh, I didn't treat these friends very well. You know, I, I, I did not, I didn't treat anybody well. Um, I used people, I manipulated people, controlled people. Um, I met, I had my first relationship at 16 and that's when I first got my dose of women. And my first relationship was actually the first time I actually, I thought cheating was acceptable. That's when I found out my first ever relationship that I thought cheating was acceptable. And that's when I learned that cheating, what cheating was, you know, 
and uh, that carried on. You know, every one of my relationships, every one of these beautiful, loving women that I was with, you know, that God put in my path, uh, I completely ravaged, hurt, disrespected emotionally, and a couple of them physically abused, you know, and I was full of fear, you know what I mean? And yet I was, I was full of fear of being alone, but then I wanted to hurt people. You know, I had that feeling of wanting to hurt people constantly. And then I get to drinking and that feeling goes away, completely goes away. You know, I, I want to love you. I want to, I want to care for you. You know, I want to talk to you. I want to listen to you. I want to, I want to understand you. And, um, so at 18, I'm, I'm with this girl, you know, and very, very emotionally and verbally abusive relationship, you know, and, and that's where I found, I thought that was how relationships were, you know, my first ever experience. And that's what it was. And I thought that's how relationships were, but let alone, I was so closed minded that I couldn't look and see what my parents' relationship was, you know, never, ever in 28 years have I seen them fight ever, ever. And as I've seen them yell and argue at each other, you know, never seen them swear at each other call each other names um true love is is what my parents have you know and i've beautiful beautiful people and i couldn't see that i always thought just through my experience that's how it was supposed to be i didn't i thought whatever that's my parents experience that's not mine i'm different i'm this is obviously how my life's supposed to be yep. you know god hates me people hate me the world hates me so fuck it, yeah. you know? And um, so I took that anger out on everybody, on everybody. Every path I walked down. Um, there's moments where I showed kindheartedness, but it was only to get what I want, <laughs> you know? Selfish, self-seeking. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. yeah. I, was, I completely understand. You know, it was only to get what I wanted um, with my parents, with everybody. It... Uh, So I'm going to all these, you know, at the time. So this is right now we're at about 18. I'm, I'm jumping. I feel like I'm jumping all over the place. But. It's you're in sequential order. Everything's perfect, man. <laughs> so at 18, you know, I last, uh, like, I think I, me and her were two years of this cheating on and off, you know, seeing multiple, multiple people, multiple, you know, just in and out of, um, I missed an important part. <clears throat> from the time I was 14 to 16. Um, I had got charged by my parents for assaulting my brother and assaulting my mom, you know, and uh, got sent to live with my auntie and uncle. And my auntie and uncle are my most favorite ever, most amazing, most precious people in the whole wide world. I, I miss them to this day dearly. And I got sent to live with them and, you know, my auntie had cancer. And, no, I had to live with her and watch her die. You know, she's in the hospital bed in our house with my uncle and I'm watching her die, you know, and I'm with her the whole time. And, um that Christmas in 2010, I lost her, you know, that Christmas. So not only that, now I am mad at holidays. Every holiday, I don't want to be a part of anything, you know, you, and I'm mad at God even more. He took my favorite auntie away from me, you know, um, my rock and soul, you know, the only person that at that time I ever could trust. <laughs> And then I go back and live with him. And, you know, when I say my parents are loving people, you know, I do give them credit for that. And they provided me with everything material-wise that I needed. But when it came to my emotions and validating my feelings and, you know, discovering who I am and showing the emotional support, there was a lot of physical violence and abuse and verbal, emotional, you know, yelling all the time. 
And, um, you know, between both of us, between all of us, and that's all I seen throughout all my life was just violence, you know? Um, but they are, you know, my stepdad and my mom, uh, today, this day, I see that, you know, they tried their best, you know, and they did what, with what the best they could, you know, and that's how, you know, maybe they were raised or their parents were raised or, or I don't know, but, um, I'm grateful that they gave me the life I have, you know, and I, you know, there's so many times that I seen that they tried, they tried their hardest to help me out, you know, and I wouldn't forgive them. I wouldn't forgive them for what they did. It was very hard for me to forgive them for what they did and for what I did, let alone them forgive myself, you know, for all the selfish, self-centered, hateful, vengeful things I said to my stepdad, you know, and my mom especially, you know. I don't think any parent wants to have their kid tell them that they hate them or that they want them in ha to burn in hell or that they wish they had different parents, you know. Parents don't want to hear that. I guarantee you that breaks their heart. It's like we lash out at the ones that we love because we're hurting so much and we know that they won't go away. So they typically get the the worst of us. Yeah. Yeah, and they did. They got that for mostly half my life. So now it's getting worse. Like, <clears throat> But instead of taking it out on them now, like at 18, oh, sorry, with my auntie and that. <laughs> After she died, you know, I was mad and I'm starting to drink now. You know, I'm starting to drink a lot more. We're getting, we're going to parties. I'm hanging out with, with, with all my high school friends, you know, we're cruising around, you know, but I'm having fun, you know, that when I'm drinking with them, I'm having a blast, you know, that's what I mean. And, and cause I didn't realize that alcohol was my solution at the time. I didn't realize that. And, uh, and I'd go home and I'm not drinking and I'm depressed. I want to kill myself. I don't want to be there. I, and all I can think about is using it again. I want that feeling. I want that feeling again. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. Um, my parents had me through counselors, numerous counselors, psychiatric hospitals, you know, different medications, um, men's groups, all these things, you know, to try and fix me. That's what their thought was. You know, that's what the count, that's what all these people thought. I learned a lot, yes, and very, very amazing people. The one, the counselors that I still keep in contact with. Um, but nobody could fix me. How, how, nobody could fix me until I could fix myself and I didn't, I wasn't ready. You know, God wasn't ready in my eyes. It wasn't time. Um, I had, I had been living with my Uncle Wayne. I got kicked out at my parents at 16 for smoking weed, drinking. And I moved in with my Uncle Wayne, you know, after my Auntie Candy died. And Shortly after I moved out, moved in with some roommates. And after I left, he moved to Stetler. And two weeks after he moved to Stetler, he killed himself. And he was an alcoholic, you know, and depression and anxiety, you know. And not only did I lose my auntie two years ago at Christmas time, now I just lost my uncle, you know, he killed himself. So now I'm even more angry, you know. Now I feel like the only two people, family members in my life that I'd ever leaned on to trust are gone. The only friends I've ever had are taken from me, yep. you know. And uh, at the same time, you know, there's a man, there's a friend of mine... Dan, he's passed away now. So Dan, E, and we went to Bible camp together. You know, we had a fallout and, you know, I still always thought about the guy. We were really close to Bible camps and same thing in grade 10 and he killed himself, you know, I was hard, you know? So at the same time, so November, he would have killed himself. And then shortly after my uncle killed himself. So I lost a friend and an uncle right away, you know, in one year. To, to suicide and untreated alcoholism, I think, you know, 
And especially, I can't say Dan, but my uncle, you know, I lived with him. I seen it. I, and, and speaking from my experience, I've lived it, what he lived, you know? And so at this time, all these people, I've, it just feels like I'm mad at God even more now. You know, it feels like the world's crumbling apart on me. There's nothing good in life. This is what life is. It's violence, anger, depression, anxiety. And at 18, like your brain's not fully even formed yet. And, no. you know, this, this heaviness of all this loss and this uncontrollable anger that I think both of us have had, we're using alcohol to, to get rid of that. Yeah. Or else I'd, time. or else I'd go to work. Or else I'd, you know, I'd be working. And at the time I'd be, I was at kitchen jobs, dishwashers and that. But I felt like when I would go to work, I'd be out of my mind. I'd be out of my head and I wouldn't be in myself, you know. And I didn't realize that now until I started doing what I'm doing today. And I felt good there, you know. And I could connect with people when I wasn't in my own head. And then I'd get off work and I'd have to drink. I'd have to use, smoke weed. I'd have to do that. And then at 18, I met another great friend of mine. You know, her name was Cocaine, you know? And at 18, you know, I tried my first line of cocaine. I, well, it was That way we can stay up and drink more. Yeah, and that's, and that's what I did. So I had, I had this one little, you know, this little line. And same thing, I can remember vividly of what happened, what I did, you know? And I went home and... I didn't think much of it, like, you know, and then all of a sudden I took this one big, you know, I took that one and all of a sudden, like something hit me. Something was like, holy man, you're on fire. This is the best. This is the most great feeling you've ever felt in your whole entire life. And that's how I felt with cocaine right away, you know, and it took me right then and there. Um, so life's blurry from about 18 to 22 life's very very blurry at that time um a lot of drugs a lot of women a lot of violence uh mind you too from this time up until this time i've been on probation still you know like i've been in trouble with the law every relationship i've been in you know um i've threatened uttering death threats to all these beautiful women, to all these people in my life, get charged with uttering death threats for assault, you know, and uh, because I was just so angry. I was so angry and homicidal and suicidal that I wanted you to feel how I'm feeling. So I'm going to take it out on you. And it didn't matter if you were man or woman. Um, I would take it out on you. And I would destroy you. I would try and break you and belittle you. I was the most narcissistic person in a relationship you can possibly think of. I felt I did no wrong. And I felt I was the best. And nobody was above me. And you owed me everything. And I owed you nothing. I take everything. And I give you nothing. And I felt everybody owed me that. Because of what I've been through. You know? Because of all this, all the, 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 struggles, difficulties I found that God had punished me with, well, now I need to punish you guys, you know? And that's how my view is now on the world. So, okay, so at 20, 21, um, I'm going to share a little God story here. At, at, no, at 20, at 20, my mom's working at Super A in Hannah. And there's this beautiful, beautiful Native American woman in there. She works with her, with my mom. And for some reason, I'm very attracted to this woman. And I'm telling my mom two years before. So is that 19? I'm telling her two years before. I'm going to be in a relationship with that girl. I will. And she's, my mom says, no, she's got two kids. That's not happening. And I said, I will. No, watch. I will. So about a year and a half goes on, and it just so happens a friend of mine hooks me up on a date with her, and I'm going out on a date with her. Um, 
and just an amazing woman right off the bat, you know, and I fall in love with this, this, this amazing woman and God put that woman in there to deliver my daughter, you know, and that was the woman I met to have the birth of my first ever child, you know, my daughter is my, my pride and joy. And I believe now to this day that was God telling me you're going to be with this girl because there's a reason, you know, and that reason was because I had the most beautiful angel in the world and that's my daughter, you know, and that didn't stop me. Didn't, didn't help, you know. Um, I was very physically, emotionally abusive to my daughter's mother, you know, and I've said very, very, I find the emotional abuse is way worse. You can't take that shit back. The stuff I've said to, to my, to the mother of my daughter, you know, it's really hard because That's not who God wanted me to be. I couldn't see that behind my untreated alcoholism, through my addiction, through through all of this stuff that I was dealing with. I didn't see a way out. I thought that this was it, you know. I had my parents telling me, you're going to go to jail if you don't stop, if you don't change. You're going to hurt someone really bad. You're going to hurt somebody very bad. You're going to ruin your life. And I didn't listen. You know, I had all these people tell me, you're going to ruin your life. You know, meanwhile, all these women that are coming, you know, into my life, they want to try and fix me. They want to try and help me. They want me to get better, you know, and I find the most, God puts these most beautiful women in my life. And I couldn't see it. I couldn't see it. I was just too full of anger, too full of rage because of what had been dealt with me. I felt I was dealt shitty hands, but yet I had a feeling of, I didn't like being alone so I had to have I was codependent I had to have someone there but I also couldn't take care of someone there because I couldn't take care of myself the way I treated myself is the same way I treated everybody else and I treated myself very badly you know um, I was angry at the birth of my daughter you know that's that's where my life and my addiction took me um when I wasn't using and I, you know, I was there. I had to show up for my daughter and to, for, for my baby mama. But at the time, I couldn't use. I couldn't drink. I couldn't smoke weed because I felt that was the right thing to do, right? Well, I'm so irritable, discontent, and uncomfortable in my own skin. Like, I start a fight with my baby mama in the, in the, in the room when she's giving birth to my beautiful daughter. Like, you know, and I still can't see that. There's a problem, yeah. you know, I can't see it, can't see it. Um, I remember leaving that night, making an excuse. I'm pretty sure I did going home just to drink. And I remember taking that first sip and be like, ah, oh, that's the feeling. God, I feel better. You know, I remember that feeling and saying that, God, I feel better. How selfish and self-centered that all I can think about is how I'm feeling. I don't care that my daughter was just born. I don't care that my wife is, or my baby mama is suffering in labor pains in the hospital. You know, my mom is there with her, t you know, my mom's there doing what I should have been doing. You know, I couldn't see it. I don't have a problem. Alcohol and drugs aren't my problem. The world's my problem. You're my problem. Uh, people are my problem. Places and things are my problem. Alcohol and drugs aren't my problem. Um, and so I kept living like that. Um, and then things changed. I started becoming, building this ego. <laughs> this, this, you know, I started, you know, me and my brother started getting close. You know, me and my family started getting closer. My brother, after my daughter was born, um, me and me and broke up because I wanted an open relationship. I felt that it was okay 
Because I'm addicted to women, money, <laughs> drugs, and alcohol. That I still want my daughter around full time and I want her to be there full time and I still want to live there, but I want to see other women. You know, because that's my experience. I grew up with that experience that, that it's okay to cheat. That's what relationships are. Relationships are full of violence, um, anger, resentments, sex, drugs, and alcohol. Yep. You know, that's, those were the relationships my whole life. And this loving woman didn't drink. <laughs> she didn't smoke weed. <laughs> she drank. She drank sometimes, but she, you know, normal drinker. Um, and loved me, you know, and I couldn't see that. I couldn't see that God put this woman in my path for a reason. I couldn't see that God just gave me uh, one of his beautiful children to take care of. Um, I couldn't see that I had responsibilities. My responsibilities was to make money, feel good. And that was basically it, yep. you know? And so I move out and I like, I have that thought, you know, there's that little thought, that little voice, maybe you should stay. This is probably, you know, you can build a life with this woman. There's that thought in there, but then there's that thought that, well, if you leave this woman, you can drink a lot more. You can get your party on, yeah. you know, you can, you can live the life that you deserve. You know, that's the, the selfish, self-centered, ego, prideful thoughts that I had is you can live the life that you deserve. And that's what I thought. So here I went out onto town. My drinking took off right there. And this was, this, this was in 2018, so I was 23. And so at this time, I had just got what would have been the retirement job, would have been the job of a lifetime. You know, this was the start of a career that I would have had built. I started at a waste transfer station at 23 years old. It's recycling cardboard running a bobcat and making pretty good money, you know? And uh, I had the opportunity to learn how to drive truck, to get a class one. And that's what I always wanted, you know? I always had this hate against my stepdad, but yet I wanted to be like my stepdad, you know? He had the class yeah. one, so I wanted to have the class one, you know? Maybe if I could be like him, maybe he would accept me more. Maybe we could have a better relationship, you know? Um, like I said, I tried to be a chameleon in my environment. So God said, you know, God takes care of his children and he took care of me. He gave me my class one, you know, and he moved me to a job at a regional landfill, government job with pension benefits, everything you can possibly think of making very good money, you know. Um, but I need an individual, my foreman, you know, and he would have been my best friend at the time. And me and him are, you know, we're, that's when I start getting real heavy into the cocaine. We're smoking crack. We're smoking meth. We're taking oxy. We're doing. We're doing morphine, Percocets, uh, everything. We drinking at work, and this is all at work. <laughs> this is all taking place at work after work. You know? Yeah, I, I completely relate. There's, I could probably tell you what I didn't do easier than what I did do. Right? Like that's the the truth of the matter. And it's at the time, it's not funny. And it's not funny if you're out there and you're struggling, yeah. but like when you're, when you get to a place of recovered, it's, it, it, I can laugh at it now. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why I'm laughing at it yeah, now. Yeah. And you know, and you'll hear that when I get to the solution to, 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 to where I am at today. But, but at that time, you know, I, this guy's a, to me, this guy's a God. This guy's supplying me with the, with what makes me feel good. You know what I mean? And and so I'm hanging around with this cat, you know, and, uh, and we're chumming along for the next three years. So two years. So for the next two years, yeah, no, it was three years. So for the next three years, you know, this is my daily life. Um, but I'm loving life. Don't mind. Don't get me wrong. I love life at this point. This is when my life started to change around, you know, is when I really picked up the drinking. When I really picked up my solution, I started hanging out with my brother more, you know, and hanging out with his friends and his friends, um, like they're my friends too, you know, those are the people that I truly, that truly care about me still to this day. You know what I mean? And, uh, 
but they're normal people. You know, they're normal drinkers. They can, they can, they're not like me, you know? And, uh, and I'm having a blast. Like the summer of 2018 is the best year of my life. You know what I mean? And this is, this is what I think life is now. You know what I mean? I just like, holy, f you know, I got a good job. I've, um, but I'm still having trouble in relationships, right? I'm still, still being rude to women. I'm still have that ego and that pride, you know? Like I remember, I remember I was dating, starting to date this one girl. And I remember saying to her vividly, I remember saying to her, like, I'm a fucking asshole. And if you don't like it, there's a fucking door. Like, if you want to date me, just know who I am and I will treat you like shit. And I don't give a fuck. Like I said that to her. Yeah. right to her face and I would say these things to them and they would still want to be with me because God puts loving beautiful women in the place of his children and um, I can never take back what I've said to these women I can never take back the hurt that I've caused these women you can never ever ever I don't even know how you make an amends to that stuff you know these women don't even want to talk to me. They <laughs> want nothing to do with me. And I, 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 I wouldn't want anything to do with me either if I was on the receiving end of what I was giving these people. You know, I, uh, I didn't see I had a problem though, Steph. I didn't see I had a problem. Um, so I'm, I'm moving in with my brother and his girlfriend. And we're like best friends. Like my brother still to this day, you know, he's mad at me right now and we don't get along in my family and we're, we're very distant right now. And I, I, I don't blame them either. I don't blame anybody in my life for, for anything. I blame myself for everything, you know, cause I'm the reason why my relations are, were the way I am, you know, or were the way they are and why I push people away and why I was the way I was, you know, and I, I'm living with them and we're like, I thought this was what life was going to be like. This is the best time in the world. Why did it take 23 years to get here? Um, but I'm also drinking every single day, mostly. Um, the days I'm not drinking, I'm very irritable, restless, and discontent. And all I can think about is using and drinking. That's it. Um, so my life at that time, I remember too, and this should have been, this is actually a funny moment too. I remember too, sitting around a table with me and my buddy and my roommate. And uh, I remember us bragging about drinking 365 days straight. I remember us bragging about drinking that many days straight. And I didn't, I thought that was an accomplishment. I thought that was cool. You know, this is, that's cool. I didn't realize that that was a problem. Yeah, it's like, like a, like a badge of honor. Like, look what I can sell to you. Have this career, have a job, make yeah. money, have women in my life. And I could still drink every day. And, and do cocaine Yeah, and do cocaine. Cause at that time too, like I'm doing both. Like I'm duly addicted. It I, I do whatever's under the sun, whatever you have, whatever you showed up with at the party, I'm doing it, sure. you know? And, uh, I passed out or blacked out. That's what I did. Like, you know, there's numerous photos. Like I remember there's numerous photos of me being hauled out on my mattress outside because I'm passed out, you know, because I was either drank till I blacked out or passed out. And if I had to limit myself, I wouldn't even bother going yeah. because I'd just, I wouldn't, I'd be very angry. I wouldn't want to do it. Um, and then I meet this girl in Medicine Hat. This is the start of the crazy medicine hat story. This beautiful, loving woman here, you know, and uh, I start into a relationship with her, you know, and uh, I'm a, I, I move her to my hometown very fast. I move things very fast because that's what I tended to do with relationships, you know. Um, I break up with girls and I get the feeling of discomfort and being alone and I want companionship again. I'm codependent. Let's get another girl in here. You know, I don't, I don't care. I'll settle for anything. That's what I did. I settled and, uh, I moved her to Hannah and things. She got to see how I actually was. She got to see the true life of my, my style, my true anger of dealing with who I am 
of hating myself, wanting to kill myself every day, hiding and masking my true feelings and drowning it in a bottle and in drugs. And she gets to see all this and she wants to help me. She can see something in me, you know, just like all those other beautiful girls did. They seen something in me. God seen something in me. That's why he put them there. And I'm treating this woman like a piece of shit, like I treat it, but unlike any other woman I've treated. Like at this time in my life, my anger and my rage are so to the extreme that I don't know how I didn't harm anybody very badly because I would have rages, like rages where I would be, I would literally destroy my whole household in seconds everything the fridge would be flipped over the stove would be flipped over everything would be flipped over i'd have these fits you know i'd break windows punch holes in walls i'd i'd, I'd throw things everywhere i'd break stuff i you know um and meanwhile like we have three children like like i uh, how unsafe you know for everybody in that household how unsafe for me how unsafe to be in my own body at that time. Um, and so it's the violence starts, you know, between us. And the drinking and the drugging gets heavier, you know, and we're doing this every day. You know, my life consisted of going to work, drinking before work. You know, I have to cure that hangover. So I got out of line of cocaine. I had to drink before work. I get off, I do cocaine at work, do whatever I had at work, get off work. And then it was a 12-pack and a, and a 2-6 of whiskey every night. Um, and that was my, my life, you know, and, and then cocaine in between all that, you know, and just with, you know, my daughter had to be around all that, you know, she was with me at the time and, and co-parenting with, with, with my, my baby mama and my baby mama had no idea, still to this day has no idea that that has happened. Still doesn't know to the extent of what my addiction has took me to. Um, and then after a long bender, the one night, I, uh, I blacked out and I very badly hurt my pregnant baby mother. And next thing you know, I'm being hauled to Calgary Remat Center for six months, facing five to year, five years. Um, I didn't know it at the time that God was there with me. Um, I get to Remat and I'm scared. I'm scared because you don't hit a woman. I'm scared because I've heard what jail's like, and I'm scared because I know. That there's three, that there's people with charges that go to jail for that and they don't make it out alive. And I know that for a fact. Um, so I'm scared. But yet I didn't realize that, that God's putting all these people, you know, I meet this one guy in jail and he's teaching me about the jail politics right away. You know, I start to learn how it's how it's how how it is. Um and then I meet this roommate, this cellmate, and I get close to him. And I tell him what I'm in there for. And I have never been scared in my entire life that I thought I was going to die, you know, and this guy scared the shit out of me and made me stand up in front of every single inmate that was in there. He said, I'm either going to beat the fuck out of you or else you're going to stand up in front of everybody and tell them what you're in here for. And I wasn't in PC. I didn't chose to go to PC. It wasn't me. Um, and I did. And not one of those men wanted to beat me up. Not one of those men wanted to hurt me. They should have. I deserved it. I deserved... In my... I felt in my head I deserved to die. I didn't deserve to be alive. I hurt everybody. And now I've hurt a beautiful woman who's carrying my daughter. kill me. I hope somebody kills me. 
That was my thoughts before saying, and I hope I die today. I hope this is it because I don't deserve to live. I don't deserve to face anybody else in this world. I've hurt everybody and I've completely destroyed myself and my life. And then I had my first dose of AA in there and I didn't really understand what it was. But I found God in there. And he kept me sober for the four, for the six months that, you know, for my sentence. And when I got out, I had no, no tools. So it was like literally within a week of getting out of jail, I was right back at it, you know, doing the same thing over again. You know, the insanity of it. I was, uh, using again you know make i had made promises to this girl to this girl in medicine hat that when i get out of jail you know i'm gonna make life better for us i'm gonna take care of you i'm gonna i'm gonna do all this you know um and then i completely shoved her out of my life you know i said i don't want anything to do with you basically not saying that but just ghosting her you know just not having anything to do with her selfish self-centeredness you know i'm all about me now again you know and uh so at this time I started drinking very, very, very heavily and hiding it from my parents, you know, um, drinking and driving, you know, that's how I was hiding it. I had nowhere else to go. Nobody wanted to see me drink. Nobody wanted to be around me drinking. So I'd go cruise back roads and drink by myself, you know, and listen to music and think about how shitty my fucking life is and how much I hated myself and how much I wanted to die. Um, and mind you, like all these friends that I had, like my brother's friends, you know, I'm isolating. Like I don't talk to them anymore. I distance myself. They're wondering where I am. You know, everybody's wondering, you know, why aren't you hanging out with us anymore? I'm not hanging out with anybody anymore. You know, I'm hanging out with the, the people who I can relate to, yeah. you know, uh, in the crack houses, in the basements, hiding in the dark, in the closets. You know, that's where I want to be. And, um, the one night I had up here to Medicine Hat to come see her, the same girl, to, like, you know, after getting out of jail. And I'm driving and drinking, and I'm going 150 down Highway 1, and I get pulled over and get my first DUI. You know, and, uh, shortly after that, or right after that, the next day, so I got my first taste of AA, you know what I mean? And, and, and I'm had to move to Stellar cause I lost everything. You know, I lost my job, lost my house, you know, the war stories, all that. I lost everything, you know, and moved to Stellar and I got AA. I got, uh, my first 12 step and, um, but I wasn't there for me. I didn't want, still didn't want to do this. I still didn't think I had a problem. I wasn't an alcoholic. You know, I'm going to these 12 step meetings and I'm drinking, you know, when it's on zoom, I'm drinking while I'm at the meeting, you know, and I'm still getting drunk. And, uh, and then the one night I blacked out and I just went flippant. I just lost my cool on the girl that I was living with again. Uh, didn't physically do anything to her, but I threw her cat down the hallway, I guess, picked her cat up by the neck, don't remember anything, blacked out. And I remember laying on the bed, sitting there naked and thinking that she came in the house and here it was two cops come on the house and I'm laying on the bed and I get up and here's two fucking cops coming to arrest me because I've made a big scene. This is what the police report said. I had no idea, no recollection of this. Um, and so they haul me to jail. They haul me to the jail. And somehow, by the grace of God, I don't get charged. Like, I get charged, but by the grace of God, you know, through the court proceedings, I ended up just with a criminal record and probation for a year. You know, and that's the last time that I surrendered that life to God because I didn't want any more part of that. I, you know, and from, from that point on, I had nothing to do with women. At that point, I said, I don't want relationships. I'm done. Um, but, I, but I'll use them, you know. At the same time, I'll still use women you know, for my pleasure, but they're not getting anything out of me. They're not getting love. They're not getting comfort. They're not getting anything other than sex. 
And, um, and then that's how I started living life, you know, in AA. I wasn't, I wasn't fixed on the solution. So for the last two, for, for two years, I just kept using, you know. No harm to these people and no, this is the way that they were showing and the way that they recovered. But as a real alcoholic described in what I, my book of life or, and my way of living, I can't just sober up coming back, going to, going to meetings, you know, and just quitting drinking, you know, cause drinking is my solution. So you were going to meetings for, for two full years and still actively yeah. using alcohol and drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Like I had this one cool cat, you know, Floyd, this one cool cat sponsor me and um, but he was mean. I found, you know, he's a, he's a dig. I didn't want to listen to him, you know, cause I didn't like listening to anybody, yep. you know? And so he's going through, he's teaching me all, all this stuff and all this knowledge. And, you know, I, I, I start working these steps, you know, I start doing the steps and, uh, but really it was only steps one to five. You know, and it wasn't face to face. It was with a, you know, well, yeah, it was off Zoom, you know, but it's still, you know, but I just, I needed that face to face connection. I needed that face to face, you know, I needed that, um, the physical embodiment of power right there, you know, between me, God, and another human vessel, you know, and, but doing that first F5, like I had a spiritual awakening, you know, but I didn't, I wasn't taught anything about amends. I wasn't taught anything about, you know, these steps 10 and 11, you know, about bringing these spiritual principles in my daily life, you know, living them daily. Uh, I wasn't talked about, taught about prayer and meditation. I didn't know anything about any of that stuff. Yep. Um, to me, meetings were put the plug in the jug, keep coming back to look at the women, to pick up women's phone numbers. Like I hadn't seen a big book for the first three months, you know, coming into the, in, 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 into this. And my, my, if I'm not drinking my solutions in that big book, you know, for, for me, for my experience, you know, and so I'm not getting any better. You know, I get better. The most I had was six months, you know, I had six months, but then my brain starts getting wiry. Right. And then I start thinking, well, you don't have the obsession to drink anymore. Why don't you just start using cocaine? You haven't used cocaine in two years. Let's start doing drugs. Cause I had quit before jail, like yeah. at jail. And then I'd quit doing cocaine. Well, well, you do cocaine. So I was going to meetings still counting days high as fuck <laughs> and, and still saying I was sober, yeah. you know, cause I had a problem with alcohol, not cocaine and honesty. <laughs> yeah. And honesty. Yes. And I couldn't be honest with myself. Yeah. And, uh, and so I'm going to these meetings and mind you, like God's given me all these, you know, and this, this sponsor that I'm with, like, you know, he's an amazing individual, you know, he cared so much about me, but he cared too much, you know, he cared a little too much. Um, he didn't show me the tough love that I needed. You know, he provided me a house. He provided me money. You know, he provided me a job. He provided me, you know, food, cigarettes, anything that I needed. This this sponsor, this cool cat that I still consider a great friend in my life today. You know, um, we never brought out the the big book. We talked about women at meetings. You know, we we went to to meetings to talk about women. You know, and that's how I thought AA was. So I, you know, and they're wondering why I'm not getting any better. You know, and so I'm living with my parents at the time again, now smoking meth in their house. You know, I'm doing all this stuff that I shouldn't be doing. You know, I'm because I, I, I can't, I, I don't want to live in my own skin. I don't want to be here anymore. I'm done. And so I'm staying up for 30 days straight at a time. Like I'm, I'm, I just got out of a bad relationship. I, hate life. I'm more depressed than I've ever been in my life, you know, and this is at 26 years old, 27 years old. And so 
I'm doing geographical cures. I'm working on the pipeline. I'm making loads of money, you know, and I'm, I'm all over the place, you know, Onion Lake, Lloydminster, uh, Edson, Edmonton, High River, Calgary, Red Deer, Grand Prairie, all over the place, all over these places, you know, living out of hotels and, and living that life, you know. And then it got to a point when I got to, uh, you know, I gave up again. I surrendered. I got into a fight with my parents. I was done with my parents. I completely wanted them out of my life. I had a big, huge resentment. And then I called this cool cat again to sponsor me again. You know, the same one that was providing me all these things, you know, and, you know, no fault of his own. I just feel that was aiding and abetting my, my disease. You know what I mean? Um, what worked for him didn't work for me, you know, and, um, like, I don't want to blame him for anything. I don't want to blame him. Well, his program worked. He's an amazing individual, you know, but, uh, it didn't work for me. What I needed was the 12 steps of my, of the program that I'm working on. And I needed to do it how the book says, you know, um, no other option. So I go back to this guy and I get sober for two months, but there's no step work. Like there's nothing. There's just going to meetings. Hold on. Holding on for dear life, you know, holding on for dear and near and wishing that everything's going to be better one day. Um, so then I get a job to go up to Grand Prairie. So we'll, we're going to stop here. So you move to Grand Prairie. And is this where you get sober? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. No, things take a pretty drastic turn of events. Yeah. So it gets, gets, it gets a lot worse. Yeah, the next two to three months are really bad. All right. So this is going to be the end of part one of Dustin's story. Um, once again, I want to thank uh, the guys at Plugged In Media Network, uh, Dave, Rob. I want to uh, you know, thank Nicole Davis Realtor as she is the sponsor of uh, the From Darkness to Life podcasts. Uh, for season three, uh, you can get a hold of Nicole at www.nicoledavisrealtor.com. And uh, yeah, stay tuned for the uh, next week's episode of uh, Dustin's, uh, I guess, further road uh, into addiction and then his uh, recovery out of it and, and what got him to Medicine Hat and where he is at now. So uh, once again, thank you for uh, taking the time to listen to uh, From Darkness to Life podcast brought to you by ocj from darkness to life is an our collective journey podcast these are the true stories of struggles and triumphs against addiction and mental health challenges if these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn our collective journey is here for you please consider supporting ocj by visiting ourcollectivejourney.ca and clicking donate all proceeds go to supporting the health and wellness of people in our community hosted by members of our collective journey produced by rob pape engineered edited and directed by dave crookshank from darkness to life is a plugged in media network exclusive thank you for listening